and welcome to the Forster's More Than Law podcast. I'm Mary Stickland, a knowledge development lawyer in the commercial real estate team, and I'm joined today by Oliver Claridge, who's an associate in our tax group, and returning guest Georgina Haddon, who's an associate in our residential property team. Hello, both. Hi, Mary. Hello there. Uh, thanks for joining me today. So um, we're going to talk about the delightful topic of um, SDLT, Stamp Duty Land Tax, um, and its application to residential properties today. Ollie, should we start off with a sort of brief history of uh, the existing residential SDLT regime? And obviously, George, feel free to butt in. <laughs> um, so current residential SDLT is still pretty complicated even before we think about the changes in the budget. Um, So from the 4th of December 2014, we're on a a banded slice system with rates up to 12%. So depending on the value of the property, each slice is taxed at a different rate. Uh, Since 26th of November 2015, we've got the higher rates uh, for additional dwellings, which uh, adds 3% to each band if you're caught by it. So you've got rates going up to potentially um, 15%. And then you've got special rates for corporates buying residential properties. Um, Those, depending on the value of them, if it's under 500,000, they're paying the additional rates. And if it's over 500,000, they're paying the the flat 15% rate, uh, which but subject to a few exemptions. So there's, there's quite a complicated mix of... Uh, different rates, different increases, and exemptions from those increases. So it, it's still quite a complicated beast. Is it worth mentioning that there's also a first-time buyer rate just for extra fun? Um, don't <laughs> tend to see it very much in London because it only applies to under £500,000, but as if there weren't enough options for your SDLT, <laughs> you've got another one in there, and then the budget introduced further SDLT again. Yeah, absolutely. So if you already own or part own another property, that brings you within a different regime? It does. If you have a major interest in another dwelling uh, worldwide, so it's not just a, a UK interest, um, you will be within the the higher rates um, regime. Now, there, there are certain uh, exemptions as issues if you've inherited under... of a property within a certain number of years, then you're temporarily outside these rules. But the the standard approach is uh, if you own any other interest in in worldwide property, major interest. So if you're you're renting under an AST, you're fine. But if you've got that that, uh, long lease or freehold interest, even if you're owning a small amount of it, you're caught. Interestingly also for SDLT, is that um, married couples are deemed joint purchasers. So if only one part of a married uh, couple or a civil partnership are purchasing, but their spouse or civil partner owns worldwide residential property, they will also fall within the higher rates, even if uh, the the purchasing person uh, doesn't own the property. So there's quite a few things to be thinking about uh, when you're you're looking to purchase and lots of questions to ask. And I think... For buyers who, you know, buyers of residential property who aren't always familiar with all the different rates and perhaps looked into SDLT in great detail, things like the fact that a married couple can only own one property between them, um, and that perhaps a child who's a beneficiary under a trust already for a property would potentially be caught by the higher rates of stamp duty tax are probably things that you wouldn't contemplate as a buyer who's just looking to buy. Um, a residential property in the UK for perhaps for the first time 
um, it's not always in their in their mind and understandably that's something that we have to try and make sure they understand. Well that was going to be my next question actually so it doesn't matter what sort of capacity you have that interest so it could be as beneficiary under a trust or it could be that you own the property outright. It, it gets more complicated when you start to bring in trusts um, because you have to differentiate between things like bear trusts um, and life interest trusts where the beneficiary is deemed to have the beneficial ownership as opposed to a discretionary trust where you might be a beneficiary of a discretionary trust that owns property but you aren't um, being that you're not looking at those beneficiaries because they're not guaranteed to have the um, the beneficial ownership yeah so where a beneficiary under a under a discretionary trust is purchasing property for themselves that interest is uh, in that discretionary trust isn't being considered okay um, but on the other hand if they are the beneficiary under a life interest trust where they're entitled to um, occupy a property they are deemed to have a major interest in that property so if they're buying elsewhere they would have um, an, a major interest and so be caught by the higher rates. So it requires quite a sort of for- forensic analysis of how you're holding other essentially the rule is if you're holding other property you need to kind of carry out this analysis to make sure yeah. that you're paying the right level. We have um, with um, some areas of our residential work because we do act for so many overseas buyers we actually have um, a pre-completion kind of questionnaire where we try to gauge the circumstances because obviously it's um, a case-by-case analysis and at that point we then could turn to Ollie and, and check <laughs> that we understand this and that it's definitely correct um, but it is it is definitely something that you know if you look back to pre-2014 and the amount of advice that's required by a residential conveyancer now compared to what was just literally a flat rate depending on the purchase price. It it really has got a lot more complicated. Yeah. And just to add to the complication, if it's a company or other corporate entity buying residential property, the rules are different from if it's an individual. Yes, uh, that's correct. Um, Where a a company is purchasing residential property, there is a a flat 15% rate, so that's 15% on everything, no nil rate band, no banding system. However, there are a number of exceptions which bring them down to the um, the three uh, percent additional rates. Firstly, if it's under that five hundred thousand pounds, then the fifteen percent rate doesn't apply. But secondly, if the company is planning on using uh, the property as a qualifying in a qualifying property business, then there's also a relief. And a qualifying property business includes renting the property out to third parties, uh, property development, property trade. Um, so if you're trying to flip a property or uh, do it up and sell it. But that is quite strictly policed by HMRC. Um, I think that a lot of people, when those uh, exemptions first came in, thought it might be a, a nice, easy way to get out of paying the 15% rate and found that HMRC actually goes for quite a forensic investigation. I think George has experienced quite a few times <laughs> having letters from HMRC yeah. for clients It's too. terrifying, yeah. actually, because you're sitting there thinking, you know, well, I asked the questions and my client told me they were going to rent out the property. And then when you get these letters from HMRC, it becomes, you know, quite stressful because initially you just want to make sure that it was correct. And you look back through the correspondence and say, oh, no, I definitely was told that's how they want to use it. And, you know, the thing with SDLT returns is it is a personal declaration. We are lawyers, so we help them through that process and try to guide them as much as possible. But ultimately, it is for the buyer to tell us 
what is happening so you do have to rely that they are giving you the correct circumstances yeah. but I think it's fair to say Ollie that actually the forensic attitudes that HMRC have taken recently is quite you know it's within the last kind of what year two years that they've There's, been a lot absolutely more they've definitely ramped up I think they they suddenly realized that people were maybe not taking it as seriously as, as they should be and it's now got to the stage that they want to see from the moment you um, you own the property what steps you have taken to, if you're saying you're going to be renting it out, uh, to market it, to do it up, to put it in the position to be marketable. They want to see your, um, your correspondence and contract uh, with agents. They want to see any correspondence you've had with potential tenants, uh, lease agreements if you've entered into any of them. If you've been purchasing furniture, they want to see receipts. They want to see that if you if you put a, uh, a lease in that the sometimes even that the tenant's got a right to reside in the UK right. you know, so they're, they're really asking a huge number of questions to make sure that people are genuinely using these properties as part of the property business as opposed to lots of people thought we can get through because there's a three-year uh, period where you have to be using it for this and people have been thinking I get through those three years and then I can go and occupy it myself and I've escaped the 15% rate and they're finding uh, to their detriment that that's not the way it works. And um, what if you are buying multiple residential units? Is there any difference in the regime there? I'm thinking you're going to tell me yes. There, there <laughs> is. There's a number. The main um, reliefs you're probably looking at there are firstly um, multiple dwellings relief. So when you're buying more than one residential property in a, in a transaction, it's the property, the transactions are linked. So rather than each of them having their own band system, and each of them benefiting from a nil rate band, the transaction gets linked so it, it's looked at an overall price effectively. Um, you, you set the, the overall price against the rates um, and that's to stop people from artificially splitting up um, transactions to benefit from uh, low, continuous lower rates. Okay. But there is a, a multiple dwellings relief is a relief that allows you to average uh, the consideration that you pay for m multiple units. So if you're buying one property for a million and one for a hundred thousand, then your average price is five hundred and fifty thousand, and you set five hundred fifty thousand against the SDLT rates and multiply that um, whatever the SDLT figure is, you multiply that by two to okay. get your total. And so it, it's sort of a flattening, averaging out of the SDLT. The the other big relief that we often get is is the six or more rule, and that is um, if you're purchasing six residential properties under a single contract. Um, then you're entitled to take the non-residential SDLT rates, which are significantly lower, uh, as opposed to the much higher uh, residential rates. And both of those uh, reliefs work nicely for individuals, but do get complicated when you get corporates involved, because uh, there are issues with um, properties worth more than 500,000. Are They count towards your number of properties, but they aren't relievable themselves. So it becomes quite a complicated uh, transaction, especially if you're buying um, five properties with a corporate, one uh, is above 500,000. You're getting five of those entitled to um, commercial rates. One entitled um, is charged at the higher 15% uh, rate. Unless, that's a, unless you can have a relief from that 15% rate, in which case all six are caught. So it's again, it's one of those uh, quite complicated ones that you have to follow all the way through. <laughs> I think my head would explode. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, let's get on to, to um, something I know will have kept you both busy over the last few days. Uh, we've talked briefly about the budget. So can you tell us a bit more about what impact the budget has had on residential SDLT? Yeah, um, so the budget announcement came in yesterday that an additional 2%, uh, which I am currently working on the basis, applies to all the very huge number of various different uh, rates of SDLT. An additional 2% will be payable where the buyer is a non-UK resident as of 1st of April 2021. One of the intricacies is that actually if you have exchanged contracts from yesterday um, and your completion date isn't until after April 2021, you will still get caught by the new rates. So yesterday being the 11th of March? Yes, yesterday being budget day. Um, so there's that new rate that has come in and obviously impacts non-residential buyers. I think um, it's fair to say that this has been under discussion for some time. Am I right in thinking it was first um, suggested by Theresa May in January last year? Is that right? Yeah, there was, a, there was a consultation. It was sort of thrown around by Tory think tanks um, before that, but then there was a consultation in February 2019 where they were looking to ask people opinions. and. Um, we don't yet have the full details of exactly how the legislation is working, but looking at that consultation uh, paper, it again anticipates making uh, residential SDLT even more complicated um, because you're getting to the stage where that you, are, you could potentially be adding the 2% rate onto multiple, depending on your previous circumstance, multiple dis- different situations. So you could be having someone who isn't caught by the higher rates but is caught by the the 2% is caught by the higher rates is also caught by the 2% is buying in a corporate and is caught is buying in a corporate and not caught um, so there are there are quite a few different variables to be to be looking at um, in terms of residence again that hasn't yet been uh, fully defined for us the consultation paper was working for on the basis that for individuals it would be um, whether they had had spent the last um, 183 days in the UK. Right. For an, someone who isn't UK resident coming in, if you spent the last 183 days, you are UK resident. And what if your intention is to become a UK resident by purchasing this property and living in it as your principal residence? Well, from the from the um, the consultation paper, it was very much a looking backwards. So it was at your time of purchase, are you a UK resident? Right. Or are you not? And not people going forward and then there's there is also issues with whether if you're buying in a corporate um, if it's UK corp, uh, incorporated or centrally managed and controlled uh, then you should not be paying the um, the non-resident surcharge unless however that company is a, a close company which is controlled by uh, so a UK close company controlled by a non-UK resident so um, again, there's going to be one of the ones where you're going to have to be asking lots of questions to try and tease out these these different facts. And uh, hopefully, as as more information is released and the actual legislation is brought forward, we'll be able to get a bit more clarity on exactly how they're going to work out if people are or are not um, UK resident slash not resident. And am I right in thinking that this change will only apply in England and Northern Ireland? Obviously Wales is now on the um, LTT tax instead of the SDLT. Uh, yes, I, as far as I'm aware, for, um, it's purely on SDLT that they're bringing this in. Um, Welsh land transaction tax does follow a lot of, of 
um, SDLT in terms of reliefs um, that it has, although it has different uh, rates and bands. Um, but I'm not aware at the moment whether uh, the Welsh Government are anticipating bringing in uh, something similar. Yeah. One to watch. <laughs> Exciting one to look out for. <laughs> so when do you anticipate, or do you have any any sort of feel for when the sort of bones are going to be put onto the legislation? I think, well, I mean, I've been asking tax this, and I think we were, we were told uh, around summer, we thought that the, the legislation would kind of be refined and in a form that we could actually read through and picket it in a bit more detail. Um, but who, who can be 100% sure? I think it's worth adding that it is just... Like Ollie says, it's just almost becoming, you know, obscenely complicated compared to how it was six years ago. Um, and again, as Ollie says, it's, it's going to be a case of asking more buyers more questions um, and, and trying to extract more information uh, in order to establish which rate um, will apply. So I think our pre-completion questionnaire is going to get longer <laughs> and longer. <laughs> we can try and do that. So I guess along those lines, I thought we'd just finish up with um, a few sort of top tips for buying a residential property in the kind of SDLT vein. Oh, uh, where Be should we begin? Be prepared for a huge I guess if you're, if you're buying uh, property as an overseas buyer at the moment, your key concern is going to be when is completion. So if you're buying a second-hand property, um, hopefully you've got time. Um, you should should hopefully be able to see it happily through from exchange to completion before these new rules are likely to hit. Similarly, there's still probably a lot of new development property that is going to be close enough to completion, but it's definitely going to, I think, apply some pressure to developers, for example, who are going to try and you know sell their development saying completion is due to take place at the end of 2020, if it does get delayed at any point and their non-residential buyers are going to get hit by this extra 2%, then there's going to be, I imagine, a bit of upset. Um, but yes, I mean, from the, the little, I can I know that we said we'd talk about what the impact has been, and I think it's probably quite difficult to say market-wise what's going to happen just yet, but I did manage to pull quite a useful quote from um, Knight Frank and um, an article I found in O Homes and Property that said, the introduction of a surcharge for overseas buyers will bring the UK into line with many other global property markets, which I think is something worth considering because we're obviously unhappy about it. We feel that it's not something that we've ever really done before. Right. Um, but actually, this is something that is apparently quite common in other countries, so it's worth bearing that in mind. Um, and also, the same article um but different quote was just that there's probably going to be a surge in overseas investment before the deadline of April 2021, which sounds feasible. Um, so it may in- inject a little bit of action into the market, I guess, before then. Um, and yeah, the pressure is going to be get it all done before April 2021. Busy times for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, anything to add? I think that from my perspective, it's really just that people, uh, ideally people would know what they want to do with the property before they start exchanging contracts. Um, we get a lot of people who exchange in their name and then think, oh, actually, maybe I want it in my company's, um, to be purchasing in a company, or they're asking if they can add, um, buy, uh, add buyers, remove buyers, and as soon as you start having SDLT changes, you start having people being brought into the new rates by making these variations and changes. So anyone that 
exchange their contract before the budget uh, should not be caught by the non-resident surcharge unless they start making a change okay. um, bef- um, now. Um, so we get quite a lot of people who haven't, maybe haven't really thought it through, have exchanged, trying to drop, uh, drop off, and then equally when they're buying in, their, they're buying in a company, thinking they're going to use it to, to rent it out and then change their mind afterwards and then find that they're having these HMRC investigations. So it would be a lot easier for everyone involved if, if they pre-exchanged, sat down and worked out exactly what they were going to do with the property, who they wanted to complete, how they wanted to complete it, in what uh, entity and, and who else they wanted to have it with, and then really save themselves uh, the problems of trying to change and then potentially getting a higher tax rate. Yeah. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, so if listeners would like to listen to our other podcasts, they're available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, also, if you want to find out a bit more about Forsters, you can uh, go over to our website, forsters.co.uk. We're also on all the usual social media feeds, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. I think I've got everything there. Um, and until next time, goodbye. Forster's Northern Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The Northern Law podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced or quoted, whether in whole or part, without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.